0: Do you want to talk about how smooth that match cut was? Don't even know what a match cut is? I'm Travis, and this is Finding Cinema, a show for all audiences, from cinephiles to the average Netflix binge watcher. We'll cover your favorite movies and some you've never even heard of. No need to wait in line at the ticket counter. Come behind the scenes and find your place in movie magic with me. What's your favorite movie quote? Mine is, why so serious? Hey everyone, and welcome to the first Finding Cinema podcast. I wanted to first start with one of my favorite movies of all time, a movie that has meant so much to me, a movie that I saw growing up in the theaters with my mom, even though I was probably a little too young to see it at the time, and that movie is Quentin Tarantino's fourth movie, Kill Bill. This movie has brought me so much joy from not only a audience member's point of view, but from a filmmaker's standpoint, that it is so analytically advanced That it just brings so much to the table in terms of Tarantino's writing style, directing style, as well as an overall concept of a movie. I wanted to take this film in chronological order, but I'm most likely going to be jumping around a little bit. Just because I see a thing that I love in a movie on the spot, and I just jump to it and I gravitate towards it. So without further ado, let's get started. And always remember that revenge is a dish best served cold. So, from the start of this movie, in the opening scene, we see such a gothic tone with the use of black and white production that Tarantino uses. It creates such an eerie feel to the film, to the audience. It creates such a visceral feeling, not only two minutes into the movie, but we also see a pan out zoom to reveal that Uma Thurman's character is in a bridal gown, which was not originally going to be in the movie. Yet, Tarantino and Uma Thurman were quoted saying that when this film was written, that Uma actually brought up the idea to Tarantino to have it be a revenge story based around a wedding reception. And we see this zoom out, and it reveals that Uma Thurman's character is in a bridal gown. After she is beaten by her former assassination squad, we see that she is not only pregnant and carrying a child, but it is Bill's child, which sets the tone for the entire movie. It sets the tone that this is a revenge story and that she is out for blood. And after moving past the first scene, we see the film is clearly out of chronological order. It is made in a non-linear standpoint, which is very, very crucial to Tarantino's filmmaking. And one of the first key scenes that sets the stage for the entire movie is when the camera zooms in on the bride's eyes, which happens throughout the entirety of the film. And each and every time that this happens, it creates a new situation. The first time we see The close-in zoom-up of Uma Thurman's character is when she opens the door to see Vernita Green, or Vivica Fox's character, for the first time after being executed in the sleepy Texas town, and it truly shows the audience the pain and the suffering that Uma's character had to go through up until this point just five minutes into the film. It creates such a feeling of despair and horror so quickly into the movie that it sets the tone for the rest of the film. And as the fight sequence begins uh, between The Bride and Vernita Green, the use of over-the-top sound effects pay an homage to old-school kung fu and samurai movies, such as Lady Snowblood, which is a revenge story that follows a young woman destined to avenge her mother at whatever cost. And this film, in particular, has been quoted by Tarantino to be such an inspiration for this film that she saw so much of Lady Snow*. Snowblood in Uma Thurman that she just had to play this character and Tarantino just had to pay homage um, in order to create this movie and after the fight sequence there is a classic scene where Nikki who is Vernita Green's daughter stands over the splattered remains of her murdered mother and it creates such an overlay of revenge throughout this film that Nikki must feel the anguish of her mother and the instant torment created by Uma Thurman's character that can only be settled here by killing her the way that she did to her mom, which has been said to maybe be the next plot point of Kill Bill 3, if that were to ever come out, would be Nikki gaining revenge on the bride. And the emphasis on revenge is made very evident through Nikki's appearance as the bride slays her mother just like Vernita Green did in the chapel four years prior because it's almost ironic in the sense that what just happened to her happened four years prior without Nikki even knowing and that like I said if Tarantino were to ever make another movie um, based on one of his prior movies it would be Kill Bill 3 and he said that this would most likely be the storyline for that film and just a fun fact that I saw during re-watching this movie for the thousandth time is that um, the serial in which Vernita Green hides the gun is actually called Kaboom which brings me to my next point, is that Quentin Tarantino is a master when it comes to pop culture references. He loves to place nuanced items that create a sense of nostalgia and symbolism that connect all of his films. We see so many different types of pop culture imagery in this film that are seen throughout other films. From Tarantino's broad perspective, we see the, the use of the big luau burger, which was seen in Pulp Fiction, so many times throughout it. We see advertisements on billboards for different types of cigarettes that are used in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and different films such as Django Unchained and Reservoir Dogs, that it all links the stories together, creating almost a universe inside of Tarantino's filmmaking that can only be described as his. Um, Tarantino has been quoted in several interviews saying that each of the characters on the Bride's Death List, on the Death List 5, that is seen in the beginning of the film when she is uh, sitting in the truck. And Tarantino has said that each one of these characters represents a different genre of movie that was for that was an inspiration for Kill Bill. For example, Lucy Liu's character, Oren Ishii, uh, pays homage to old kung fu and samurai movies that Tarantino draws such inspiration from to create other films, such as revenge-filled stories, such as Kill Bill. And Vivica Fox's character, Vernita Green, pays homage to Pam Greer-type movies, which is all played and all comes together in the original screenplay for Kill Bill. That was written between Tarantino and Uma Thurman, which they collaboratively came up together, which I didn't know about until uh, researching this movie further, that this was a joint effort between the two of them, not only just Tarantino. And one thing that I wonder is that if the revenge takes place in the nonlinear standpoint um, in which it strikes the most retribution in the bride's heart and mind. I, I like to think that Tarantino did this intentionally. I wonder if the revenge takes place in the nonlinear order in which it strikes the most retribution in the bride's heart and mind from least to most. Being the fact that we progressively see more and more of the revenge backstory that goes into murdering each one of these people that screwed her screwed her over four years prior, um, I wonder if if it goes from least to worst, and she obviously saves Bill, aka the snake charmer, for last, and makes it almost almost to the fact that it would be more painful for him to see him alive and all of his students and prodigies killed rather than just him being slayed first. So that Uma Thurman's character can really strike fear into Bill and realize that she deserves her revenge and they all deserve to die. Now going back to the movie itself, in the next scene we see El Driver and we see L Driver's character with the eerie whistle that we've all come to know walking down a hallway in a hospital and we see this menacing whistle and i want to i want to say that tarantino did this very intentionally and I'd like to think of this as Tarantino painting L. Driver as almost the angel of death in this, in this situation where she, right after Uma Thurman's character, goes into a comatose state. We see L Driver come up as dressed in a nurse's outfit and seconds away from injecting what can only be described as a death serum into her into her IV in the hospital, Bill calls her. On the phone and says that is not you know that's not the way that we kill people and I want to say that Tarantino did this intentionally to portray El driver as almost the angel of death I I'd like to think I'd like to think so personally and we also see this in this in this menacing camera angles that we can only see her feet walking down with this umbrella and this eerie whistle that gets stuck in the audience's mind for hours after seeing the movie. I mean, I know it did to me, that we, we see such an eerie and harrowing journey, even though it's 30 seconds down a hallway, to see such a menacing figure in El Driver become this angel of death. And moving forward, we see the bride wake up from a four-year coma and immediately put her hand on her empty belly. We see the true stakes of this film are set in stone right then and there at that very moment. From the pain and despair arise a, a revenge tale that known as Kill Bill. That's, you know, the tone is set for the entirety of the movie right then and there. The film is made personal with the bride's revenge for not only taking her own life, but for taking the life of her unborn daughter. And we see all the pain and suffering that is in her eyes and that is in her demeanor not 10 seconds after she wakes up from four years. You know, most people, at least if I, if I was in that situation, I would have waken up and, you know, the first thought in my head would have been, you know, where am I, who am I, what am I? But no, she immediately recognized that she would, you know, she had been in a coma and honestly, the first emotion that popped into her head was despair and horror that her baby is not with her anymore. And I find that so intentional and I find that almost poetic. In a sense that Tarantino intentionally did that to make the movie relatable in the fact that losing a child is known as one of the biggest heartbreaks that anybody can go through. And I think that the revenge in which parents undergo creates such a prominent theme throughout this movie that I could only imagine what is going through her character's head at that moment in time. And as we see her exit the hospital, we see an anime scene that Tarantino uses to bring Japanese culture to Tarantino's classic Western spaghetti Western bandits and outlaws theme that are so very prevalent in his other movies. I could go on for hours talking about what Westerns have done to Tarantino's movie, but this anime scene where we see Oren Ishii's mother being killed by a Japanese Yakuza boss creates such a harrowing scene that it almost exaggerates, it almost reduces the exaggeration of violence and puts a cartoonish theme that shields the audience from the brutality of war and violence that is seen throughout the rest of the film. And just a fun fact about that scene is that it was actually inspired by a Bollywood film that has been known to use one of the first cartoonish themes throughout films to create almost a a childlike experience to this film making it relatable to all audiences. It's so intentional. And I'd like to think that everything that Tarantino does is very intentional. And that's why I've said it probably about 20 times throughout the duration of this podcast is that he is such an expert and a mastermind with nuance and subtle imagery and subtle dialogue, especially in this film, that it creates such a poetic and elegiac theme to the entirety of this film. And going forward, we see the monologue of Oren Ishii, or Lucy Lu on the table after the execution of Boss Tanaka, after she runs over to him and, quite frankly, and simply put, slices his head with her samurai sword after Bostonaka brings up her Chinese and American heritage. And we see this exaggerated monologue with so much anger and frustration in her eyes that it almost pays an homage to the opening diner scene in Pulp Fiction with the infamous lines said during the robbery. And it almost, it almost, it just always dawns on me how intentional Quentin Tarantino is in linking each one of his movies. And they all play off one of each other. And it all, and it creates, I wonder if you could watch each one of Tarantino's movies front to back, all nine or 10 of them. And I wonder if they would all connect somehow. And I'd like to think they would just because i think that with how weird quentin tarantino is in his filmmaking and his cinematography style and his screenwriting i'd like to think that each one of his films is based on other films that he has seen but also other films in his little tarantino cinematic universe and i'd be curious to see if you watched all of them i would wonder to see if these little nuances would become much more prevalent than watching them out of order you know, say, from Pulp Fiction to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, back to Kill Bill to Django Unchained, I wonder if you watched each one of them front to back what the connections would be to their counterparts. And another thing that I love to point out in this film is Tarantino's direct use of costuming. As we see, Uma Thurman's canary yellow suit is such an homage to Bruce Lee's classic tracksuit that is seen in his movie Game of Death. And Tarantino has said that yellow tracksuit isn't Bruce Lee's anymore. It's Uma Thurman's and it's the bride's. I think Tarantino tries to take Uma Thurman and her suit and say that this is the new age of samurai and this is the new age of kung fu movies, which I I think is wonderful and masterful. And it just, it keeps bringing me back to this point of everything that Tarantino does is so intentional. I know that I'm talking about Kill Bill in this movie, but I could I could go on for an entire episode about how Tarantino is so intentional in his work and that is why we see at some points, you know, 4 and 5 years between Tarantino movies and we see so much work and so much so much beauty behind violence and and madness in his films that can only be described as method behind Tarantino's madness. And I just, I find that so beautiful because so many other filmmakers kind of stem away from over-the-top violence. I mean, the only other filmmaker that, you know, really comes off the top of my head for over-the-top violence is Martin Scorsese. And yet his themes are, tend to be more power and the hunger to be accepted in society rather than just violence and madness, which is a classic scene to, to go along with Tarantino's film style. And now we get to the crazy 88 scene and the showdown between Lucy Liu and Uma Thurman. And so much can be said about this film. When Gogo walks down the stairs with such horror and such torment in her eyes, it creates a feel that with each step that she is walking down, it creates almost a feel that each step is a step closer to death and revenge. That each step is a step in retribution that Uma Thurman is trying to obtain for the murdering of her daughter and her fiancé and everybody in the wedding chapel on that horrible, blood-filled day. And the fact that in the crazy 88 scene, the fact that every subordinate is wearing the same suit and tie creates a tone in the film that it is truly one woman against the world. The fact that they are all wearing the same suit, it might just be a uniform, but I'd like to think of it as you know, what I previously said, that it is Uma Thurman against everybody, and that it is the bride versus everybody, and nothing will stop in her quest for revenge to avenge her daughter and the life that she lost four years ago. And as this movie briefly goes back to back, black and white, I believe that this shields the audience from the brutal conduct that is transpired through the entirety of this scene. And I'd like to think that with the, the choice of the use of black and white through the entirety of the scene, I'd like to think it almost comes back to what is said in the anime scene where it puts a different perspective on war and brutality that almost shields the audience from what goes on in day to day life through the entirety of this scene. That is, Portrayed on classic Kung Fu movies, but is also portrayed through Yakuza violence that is, has been known to torment Tokyo and Japan through the entirety of history. And as she blinks and the color returns just to have the lights turned out, all the audience can see are these silhouettes of these subordinates or what I'd like to think of as pawns, almost as pawns in, in, in a game of chess that are standing in the way for the bride to reach the queen in Lucy Liu's character Oren Ishii it is almost as she is stepping back into reality to confront those who hurt her beyond the comprehension of what the audience can feel as i said before so many people don't know the anguish that has gone through the bride's mind and body and soul and i believe that is such an intentional theme that tarantino uses that he creates this almost step back into reality and i i think it's i think it's so masterful and so wonderful and it creates such a such a harrowing experience for the audience to see these silhouettes almost unlifelike and just like chess pieces that are only standing in the way for her to get to the queen in Oren Ishii. And as I talk about color, I want to say that the use of color throughout the entirety of this movie is so intentional and so creative. The use of contrast, saturation, and primary colors creates such a vibrant effect throughout this film. The use of Japanese art when Oren is sitting around the council, the use of color in her tracksuit, the use of saturation throughout the entirety of this film, through the amount of blood that we have seen. And I actually I actually read that over 450 gallons of blood were used just in the crazy 88 scene because Tarantino wanted to put such a such a violent spin on everything. And that I, I think it's I think it's almost masterful. I know I've said that, but it is everything he does is so intentional and so masterful. Going forward, I think the over the top nature of the entirety of this scene pays such homage to old school Kung Fu movies, which, like I said, has been linked to such an inspiration for this revenge thriller. And the use of sound effects and color and lighting and camera angles is so harrowing in the way that he uses such low camera angles and that he uses the combination of low camera angles and wide out zooms to make the audience feel as if we are right there feeling the bride's despair and horror. And after the bride has killed, slayed, murdered, and mutilated, each one of the subordinates, we finally see the showdown between Oren Ishii and the bride. And this scene is so beautiful. The poetic nature of this showdown can be seen through the angelic snowfall that is another callback to the movie Lady Snowblood. And I think that with the use of the fountain falling and rising again, and the intentional use of snowfall, it creates such a poetic theme, and it really draws the audience in with how beautiful and masterful the scene is after witnessing an absolute massacre not two minutes prior. The ever-changing camera angles between O-Ren and the bride creates almost a respect for one another, and it adds to this elegiac theme of the scene through what can only be described as a haunting encounter for the bride. This scene is so heartbreaking because o Ishii played such a part in the assassination of her daughter, her fiance, her friends, her family, and everybody in the wedding chapel on that day in a sleepy town in Texas. After this scene, we see the closing monologue of this movie, and we see Bud's character say the infamous, that woman deserves her revenge and we deserve to die line as the snake charmer or bill speaks the ultimate cause for revenge that her daughter is still alive and this sets such a scene for volume two i thought it wasn't right to talk about both movies in one episode because i i believe that they both deserve an episode of their own because with how different they are yet how intertwined they are it culminates to this four-hour masterpiece of cinematic imagery the use of color the use of sound That it it is so beautiful to watch these movies together but it is just important to realize the importance of what messages they come they bring and come across individually uma thurman's character arc in this movie is so prevalent to the story as in the first scene we see her soon-to-be husband and baby that she was once carrying turn to this harrowing menace that can only be a past memory when she wakes up from this comatose state and otherwise the you know this is the closest thing that she has to a family and to waking up in a hospital bed and not realize what has happened the past four years being the victim of rape and assault and it brings the audience so much into her psyche and so much into her mind what has you know what has gone through her mind through this coma and through the past 4 years And these past four years give complete reason for retaliation and retribution towards the Deadly Viper Association. The bride is simply trying to right the wrongs that she has done in her past, being an assassin, that she just wants to create a new life for herself and have a baby and settle down and stay away from the entirety of the Deadly Viper Association. And she wants to create this new life for herself which I think, yet again, is intentional and masterful in Tarantino's filmmaking. And she just wants to create this new future for not only herself, but for her fiance and her unborn child. This character arc shows such a positive and productive redemption story to go along with this revenge and blood-soaked thriller. And I believe that Uma Thurman's character arc in this film transcended movies to come, transcended revenge thrillers, transcended action movies, and what they can be because Tarantino's use of character arc and character development through this film is almost what makes it so beautiful. From Nancy Sinatra's eerie and infamous bang bang to the sinister undertones of this film, we see a true masterpiece from Quentin Tarantino in every single aspect. From cinematography to the powerful use of dialogue to truly show the pain and the revenge and sorrow in Uma Thurman's character, to the use of intentional camera angles that convey such harrowing and elegiac undertones to the audience. Through every single minute and creative detail intertwined in this piece of cinematic perfection, I can say without a shadow of a doubt that this is Quentin Tarantino's magnum opus and this film is a masterpiece in and of itself. Thank you. Disclaimer, this podcast is produced for your universal listening pleasure. Any statements shared during our program are opinions and experiences of our team and guests. If you disagree with any content presented herein, please find another show before submitting nasty grams. This is a positive vibes only platform. If you love our show and want to connect, share your experiences, or know someone who we should interview on future episodes, please don't hesitate to get in touch through our website or Instagram. Thanks for listening to this program brought to you by Daydreamer Network. If you enjoyed the episode, please don't forget to rate and review on Apple Podcasts or your preferred platform. Your feedback allows us to rank on the best new shows list and continue to grow our podcasts in order to bring more unique and talented storytellers to the network. To check out our shows, including programs about relationships, sports, business, nutrition, leisure, and more, head to www.daydreamernetwork.com. We look forward to seeing you back next week for another great episode. Have a wonderful day.